If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. This is nice. Sitting outside on the back patio. No live broadcast, no pressure to move things along and cram in weather and traffic every six minutes. This is exactly what I was hoping for. Space and time to really get to know the fascinating people who make Tulsa and Green Country such an amazing place to live and work. I'm Dan Potter, host of the KRMG Morning News in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and this is my podcast. This is entry number one in the Damp Otter Files. And we even have our own original theme by Tulsa composer and entertainer Aaron J. Morton. Nice, huh? You know something else that was really nice? Was being able to record our first Damp Otter Files interviews at the church studio. It's the same old church building at 3rd and Trenton that once housed Leon Russell's Shelter Records. We recorded intimate conversations there with House of Pain rapper and Outsiders House savior Danny Boy O'Connor and the man who opened Greenwood Rising and has started a meaningful conversation between black and white Tulsans about the 1921 Greenwood Massacre, Phil Armstrong. We will hear both of those conversations in the coming weeks. Our first entry in the Damp Otter Files comes from the church studio owner, Teresa Knox. As you'll hear, Teresa grew up in poverty in West Tulsa, became a dental assistant, and then started teaching others how to do that job. And that led to the founding of Community Care College, Clary Sage Beauty School, and now so much more. Teresa is a deep thinker who tends to act on gut impulse. And so far, that seems to be working out for her. For instance, I started by asking her about why she decided to buy the church and bring it back to life as a studio again and as a museum dedicated to Leon Russell's life and career. I didn't have any experience uh, with a recording studio. When I first bought the building, I was more in the preservation of the property. Um, But then I kind of went on an adventure across America and started checking out some of the best recording studios across the country. And uh, that's how I learned about it yeah i mean i i hear you're a real stickler about acoustics about microphones about i mean you picked up a lot of it yes i um i learned a lot about uh, recording and analog and acoustics um i have a great consultant you know i wish i could take all the credit his name is chad haley and chad is a really neat guy uh, he's worked with Neil Young and so many others, but he worked with J.J. Kill when he mm. was a teenager at a really cool recording studio in Nashville. So his ears were really wired to Tulsa, the Tulsa sound. And, you know, like me, he loves analog, and that's what we wanted to uh, create here. How do you describe the Tulsa sound to people? Oh, gosh, that's such a hard question, and everyone asks that. Um, Of course, a lot of people describe it as rock and roll and gospel and rockabilly and western swing kind of all mixed together. 
I really describe it as a relationship, a camaraderie, a, a sort of a brotherhood, a sisterhood. Um, because what Leon did was so entrepreneurial. It was so incredible. You think about him plucking those kids out of their dad's church called the Gap Band. And you think about Ambrose Campbell from Africa. You think about Peter Tosh, the Whalers, Bob Marley, all that reggae. I mean, it really, um, it really is an international sound. And then when you look at J.J. Kell's style compared to Leon Russell, it's so different. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you can pigeonhole it to a particular sound. Do you sense a new Tulsa sound emerging? I think so. You know, you see people who I adore, like Paul Benjamin and others, that kind of embrace what we call the new Tulsa sound. Um, but really, I think it's just that, again, that camaraderie between songwriters and musicians and producers and engineers coming together, making magical music. Thank you for giving us a space to do these first few podcasts in. We really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a, it's a great space for capturing sound. Are you sure you still want to proceed knowing that I fired your son once about 13 years ago? <laughs> That is so funny. I know. I, I didn't. I didn't realize it until I'm researching you yesterday, and and I had honestly, Teresa, I, I didn't know that you you know founded Clary Sage and Community Care, and and I knew that this young intern that I fired the second day on the job back, gosh, it's about 2008, 2009, something like that. Um, I knew that his mom was the founder and CEO of Clary Sage. But I didn't know anything more about it and kind of forgotten about it until I was looking through and go, oh, no. <laughs> I, I think I fired her son. Uh, no, it's no big deal. He's got to learn, right? Uh, and he works here, and I've talked to Ronnie, and he's great, and he's forgiven me. So I apologize for being <laughs> he such a hold dick grudges. back then. But, you know. No, oh my gosh, you're awesome. And even just one or two-day opportunity. And he uh, always loved politics and talk radio and <laughs> Um, let me see, who was I working with at the time? We were, gosh, who was the, the main sales rep? She'd been around for a long Tracy time. Tracy Poe, I bet. Yeah, I bet it was yeah. Tracy. I, I know her. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you, you know, those are life lessons. And, um, well, no, I think it's great. I, I think it was a good opportunity. You're both very gracious. I appreciate it. But, it, it, I mean, your story and the fact that you started out as – a, a dental hygienist, is that correct? I was a dental assistant. Dental assistant. Right. And and that led to community care? Take me through the story. Yeah, sure. So I, um, yeah, I stumbled upon a school when I was 18 years old, a dental assisting school. Um, for those that are from Tulsa, it was called Bryan Institute. And I had never really had a dental background. I came from a family. We couldn't afford to go to the dentist. And uh, so I didn't have any experience, but it sounded like a, a really cool professional, what I call a fancy job. And I found this program that uh, was just uh, six or seven months long. And I thought I could do that. And so um, graduated from that little program and got a job at a really nice dental practice in South Tulsa. And it changed my life. Um, you know, and no exaggeration, it, um, it probably saved my life because I came from an environment of extreme poverty. And, um, you know, wasn't really required to go to school 
household. My dad was an alcoholic. My siblings had already gotten heavy in drug abuse and addiction. And uh, it was just a really harsh environment. But when I got a job as a dental assistant, it was so life-changing because I, um, people wanted to know what my opinion was, you Mm. know, like, what should I do with my teeth? And, you know, these were, you know, people with, with jobs, with dental insurance. Um, and that was really foreign to me at the time. And so it was such a great experience and I developed early on a knack for training other people. And so I, um, put kind of a curriculum together and I was in charge of training new dental assistants that came through brain Institute or Tulsa tech or some of the other programs. And over and over I would hear, wow, I learned more from you than I did in school. And uh, I just got this idea. I was, you mentioned Ronnie earlier. I was a single mom. I was living in a little apartment on Riverside Drive. And I put a $4 ad in the paper and said, you know, let me change your life, become a dental assistant called Teresa. And I started, people started calling me and um, wanting to learn how they too can become a dental assistant. And so on Saturdays, I would you know, borrow a few things from the dental office I was working at, did not tell my uh, employer at the time, and um, it was wonderful. It was really neat that I was teaching people a skill that would lead to a life-changing experience, like getting a job. And when you get a job you're proud of, you become a better mom, You. Be- become a better decision maker and um it 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 changes your life well but it's quite a leap to go from that to starting your own college how did that happen right so um as i was training people out of my apartment i um i got in trouble by the state they said i was operating a school illegally and i was served papers by the attorney general at the time and um they said i had to cease what i was doing repay back any money that i may have earned during that time of course i'd spent any money because i was living paycheck to paycheck um but i had that kind of that entrepreneurial bug that people were paying me for for my knowledge and i just got legit i went back to the dentist that i was working for and i told him what i'd been doing and i worked out a deal that i could have um and a school in our dental office when we didn't have patients i got licensed by the state and um just grew grew the school and then kind of replicated that process and my second program i added was um phlebotomy then i added medical assisting and then i had of course change the name at the time it was dental directions and um I got this great idea. I feel like I stole it from community care insurance and (laughs) Tulsa Junior College was transitioning to Tulsa Community College at the time and both the insurance company, Community Care and and TJC, they were putting billboards and advertising. So I kind of meshed the two names together and called it Community Care College. And um, yeah, grew and then finally became accredited. That took about three years and um, just started growing it. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's so much more than dental assistance now. It's, I mean, you, any kind of physician assistant, right? Yeah, all types Surgical of allied assistant. health, legal, business. Uh, we now lead up to an associate's degree, 
total with the three college campus system of 46 programs. Um, uh, it is probably the one of the largest private vocational schools in the country. Um, it's just been great. Um, you know, over 10,000 people have graduated and really they've done what I did, you know, got out of it, you know, get from point A to point B, often breaking that cycle of poverty, which is really important. So I'm a huge advocate for career and technical education because I think, especially we look at Tulsa right now, it's so broken. Um, there, the homeless population, the mental illness, the addiction. The addiction is so brutal here. And in that environment, you undergo, you know, mental and physical abuse with people. And But if you have a job, if you have that one thing going on in your life, um, you can get out of all that. And I think it is, I think it is the only answer to get out of that situation. You use the word broken. Mm -hmm. um, irreparably broken, do you think? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm an optimist and I love the city I was born in. And I think, you know, Tulsa, the people are so good here and it's growing and changing. And I know a lot of people are moving here. And I think it's important that they know, you know, the real history of our, our city and the trailblazers like, you know, the oil barons and even what this church that we're sitting in built in 1915, how important it was to the community. And, um, you know, the old saying, Covey, you know, what starts well ends well. And so we have a beautiful foundation to the city. And so it, um, you know, it's broken. But if everyone works together, I know we don't always collaborate as a city. There are certain groups that have certain initiatives and different things going on, but the heart of our city is so strong in the in the people, and and so I'm really energized about the future. This um, church studio has kind of become the nucleus for this neighborhood now. How how much of the general area around here are you developing? I'm developing quite quite a bit. When I first acquired the property. The one of the first things that I noticed was um, the crime in the area. Um, so that's public record. You can pull up crime stats in any neighborhood. And um, it was a lot. I mean, there were, you know, murder, rape, assault. Uh, the homeless population was fairly significant. The area had a lot of um, drug use and other things happening. I noticed the uh, the property taxes were down, which, you know, trickles down to the public schools and everything else. So I'm, um, I started buying as many properties as I could afford at the time. And not, not to be a control freak, but I knew that the church needed a lot. It was going to take millions of dollars to get it to where it needs to be to be relevant not only to national artists but to our local artists and we needed a safe place that when people came into the church you know they don't have to worry about their car being broken into or you know breaking into the building and and of course just look at the equipment and the gear we have sure. i mean we had to protect it so i'm really pleased to report that crime is down to really next to nothing um it's taken about seven years um to make that happen i have 
13, 14, maybe 15 properties. I have 12 tenants, um, about to have 14 tenants in the area. So that's really nice because most of them are startup businesses and they too have a vested interest in the area doing well. So we all work together. We kind of have dubbed this area Studio Row. It is the Pearl District officially, but um, we call it Studio Row because we not only have the church studio, but my good friend David T. Garden has his studio one block down and then I have a tenant called Grassfire Creative they're a multimedia studio and then we have Hummingbird and Hippie Chicks which are art studios and then we have a music a vocal lessons piano lesson studio so what's that five hmm. six studios now in wow. studio row and of course you know I consider the church the mothership of the studios but uh, it's been wonderful to see it evolve and grow and develop into something that looked quite different seven years ago. Yeah. Um, do you see in your mind's eye what it looks like five years from now, 10 years from now? And can you share that with us? Well, I hope it continues. I am buying another uh, piece of property that's um, about 14, 15,000 square feet. That's very close proximity to the church. And so I'm hoping it will turn into mixed use space. And uh, of course, that's great. It has such a great economic impact on the neighborhood that does benefit um, primarily the, the schools you know, that operate in this area. So I think that's really important. And it also gives us a voice. This all uh, transpired very organically. You know, it's not like we're a TIFF district, like the Arts District or Kendall Whittier. So it's just the neighbors, you know, rolling up their sleeves, painting their buildings, picking up the trash, having a neighborhood watch, you know, and I, I love that. That's, mm. you know, that's how Tulsa started. And, and I love that's what's happening here in, in the third and Trenton area. Well, and you're also having an impact on another part of town. You've purchased Harwelden Mansion and uh, turned it into a multiple use facility. Uh, there on Riverside. I, I read with interest that uh, what spurred you to make that purchase was you had heard that Bodine, uh, the seafood restaurant, was going to buy the place. Uh, that deal fell through, and even though uh, who doesn't love Bodine, great food, but you didn't think that was the right use for that, that building. Right. So I was born in West Tulsa, and I lived in um, in the 70s in a housing project right over the 21st Street Bridge. And I remember seeing the Harwelden when I was younger, like who who would or who could live in this fancy castle mansion yeah. like this. So I've always been in love with their property. And of course, all of Maple Ridge is just, it's something I'm so proud of. Um, you know, it's a, the early part of our city's history. But you're right, I love Bodine's. On the record, it is my absolutely favorite restaurant. And I remember when AHA put it up for selling quickly Bodine's, you know, they were on the radio and talking about what they were going to do do with it and it just kind of like ah oh, it just I don't know I just felt sick a little bit because I just didn't see it as a restaurant even though it would make a great restaurant there's so many historic properties that are converted into restaurants and you know it's I don't have a right or reason and it would have been wonderful and I would have been their number one customer <laughs> going in there but when the deal fell through that day, I remember hearing about it. Um, 
I immediately reached out and um, and you know kind of like the church it was an impulse purchase it's not like we went through a lot of inspections yeah. or anything like that and um, absolutely um, you know fell in love with it walking through and just dreaming of what it could be and my primary focus on historic preservation is learning as much as I can about the the origins the original builders and owners and in that case the original family and um, honoring their life and legacy and their contributions but getting it back to looking the way that it did in 1923. Do you think the Harwells would approve? I, I, I think so. I think they would. Of course, they were um, reserved people, uh, quiet, but very generous. You know, the more I learned about what they did, because we always hear about, you know, J. Paul Getty and the Skellies and the Phillips family, especially in this community, but you'd never heard about the Harwells. And I was so blown away by their history. And um, so I think we've done a, a good job. You mentioned your gut. You seem to follow it a lot. Is that, would you tell a young person starting out in business, a young entrepreneur, hey, just follow your gut? Or would you tell them, no, do your due diligence, do your, crunch your numbers, figure it all out, or trust your gut? Well, I think you could do a little bit of both. Um, I think it can be risky following your feelings and your gut um, in business in particular due to Due diligence is so important. Um, I hear from a lot of young people. I try to mentor people going into business and startup businesses. And, um, you know, if they if they haven't surveyed the market, done their market research, um, you know, their gut is important. But it, it it's nice when you can have a little bit more of a calculated risk. I used to do everything on gut lost a lot, made a lot of mistakes, so many different things happened. And so I now do both, but I think people can overanalyze and kill deals all the time. I see that people like, you know, you get lawyers involved and um, business consultants and, and they just go overboard. And sometimes you do have to like, you know, if you feel really strongly about something, do it. But if you can get a little bit of that quantitative aspect and, and measuring results or, or doing market research or even just forming focus groups and mm -hmm. doing surveys, then you're going to be so far ahead of most people because a lot of businesses do start uh, with their gut. And unfortunately, a lot of businesses close very quickly um, because they didn't do their homework. Tell me about a time your gut failed you. My gut failed me? Uh, <coughs> let's see. Um, uh, wow, that's such a good question. I've been so fortunate over the years. <laughs> well, you said sometimes you trusted your gut and it hasn't worked out. Yeah, so um, I think just, you know, more on tactical things, I, I believe, uh, um, you know, that we, you know, from a marketing strategy or hiring someone where, you know, I have a kind of a mantra, hire slow, fire fast. <laughs> and so I always... It turns out we share that trait. <laughs> I do the opposite. I'm desperate. I hire someone um, and then someone that's not a culture fit because I so believe in that. I know yeah. not every company does, but I'll hire a culture fit over, you know, the best engineer or technician anytime because you got to protect your culture at all cost. And, uh, mm -hmm. um, so, um, 
anyway, what is, what's I don't know the, what's the culture here? How would you describe it? Um, I think it's a great culture. I mean, we're a mission-driven institution. We, um, you know, we love people. We want to be a bright spot in people's day. I love that we're able to borrow some from the original church. It was Grace Methodist Episcopal Church, but it was open to everyone. Um, it was an integrated church in 1915, um, and if you were broke, if you were brokenhearted, if you had no shelter, this was the place you could come to. But during Leon's time, you know, obviously you had to know someone uh, to get in the door. And so, but he he held musicians to such a high esteem. And that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Our vendors, the clients, the musicians, we want to exceed their expectations. So when they're here, we want them to go away and think that was the best experience. I made the best music. And our team is is really committed to that. There's high trust. We support each other, and um, and they want to be better today than we were yesterday. And um, I, I love that. It's a new team. I had just a couple of employees a year ago, and we have 18 employees. And um, so I'm very hands-on on training and standard operating procedures and just building a business from scratch because I had zero experience in the recording studio world. And... Um, but um, but it's working out, and it's been a really great model. You have to pinch yourself every once in a while. But I can't, <laughs> can't believe this has all come together the way it has. It's been really great. There have been a few surprises. Like, I did not realize how much of a tourist attraction it would be. I mean, thousands and thousands of people have come through here, and I'm like, one, as a Tulsa, I'm like, you're, you're traveling across the world or country to to hang out in Tulsa, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I'm very proud of our town. Um, but, um, you know, first and foremost, we're a recording studio and I do, I mean, we've met so, so many amazing people, people that I admire so much, you know, like Taj Mahal and Jimmy Webb and, and so many others that have come through here. And, you know, I'm a music fan at heart. I mean, it's always been about the music for me since I was a child. What? Do you play or sing? Not I sing. I'm a shower singer. I, <laughs> I play the stereo, but I picked up um, uh, woodwinds when I was a child and played the flute. For me, still play. I, you know, so I like woodwinds. Um, but there's only so many rock and roll, Jethro Tull, Marshall Tucker, <laughs> Chicago songs you can play right. on the flute. I was a flute so. player fifth and sixth grade. Oh wow! And then I realized when I went to junior high, I was probably going to get beat up a lot, so I switched to percussion. <laughs> oh well, good. Yeah, for you. I know, but do you still, still. play? Uh, I no, okay. <laughs> not not not. But you know what? I am so still involved in in the marching band and drum corps world that you know I. To me, performing is when I'm on the air, you know, right. for my radio show. But I I get still get to hang around all my music people, and that's I think kind of the same way you know you have right now. You've, you've got all your musician friends. I'm I'm wrapping these things up. I'm trying. Borrow a page out of James Lipton's book from Inside the Actors Studio with uh, five questions. I'm calling them five before you go. And the first one is, do you remember your first kiss? Yes. Can you tell me about it? Uh, Let's see. My friend was having a party. And, um, well, that's such a good question. I know I haven't thought about this in many years. Um, Yeah. His name is Sean Raby, and um, Air Supply was playing. Uh, 
And I love that because we recently hosted Air Supply. And Did I've, you tell them? Yeah, absolutely. I've become really good friends with Graham Russell. In fact, we have a gorgeous vintage Telefunken ELAM 251 mic, and all the early hits were cut on it. So wow. I was holding that, and it's like, wow, I'm holding the mic that the song was recorded that you had your first you know, kiss. I had my first kiss. So very cool. Um, where do you feel most at home? Well, um, I honestly, I feel at home here at the church. It's very comfortable, has a warm vibe. I feel very much at home. I was at Harwelden this morning. Um, we had a staff meeting over there, and I'm just so comfortable with every element of that property because I'm very hands-on during the construction, so I know every square inch of it. Um, of course, I'm very much at home, you know, with my family. I'm a mom. Um, I have three kids and uh, all of their homes. So I'm, I feel at home when I'm with people. Um, I've never really been alone because I've been a, a mom, you know, from a young age on. And, and so I, I just love people. You know, I love being here with you and I feel very much at home talking with you. So oh, that's good. Yep. What's your favorite comfort food? My favorite comfort food um, would be, um, wow, you are just like throwing me for a loop here. Um, it's not really food, but um, I'm a tea drinker. Wow. So I drink green tea, and as soon as I um, steep the tea and I put my hands, my hands are always cold. I have low blood pressure. I'm always cold. Um, I just feel very comforted, so um, I huh. drink tea daily, and it's very comforting for me. Okay, that works. What is heaven to you? Heaven um, is where we go after life. Um, I am a Christian, and I wasn't always a Christian. Um, but, uh, I became a Christian after I started my business and heaven is, um, you know, the afterlife where we are, um, joined with, with family members that, that we've lost, that we get to be with and, um, to be with God and Jesus. And that's what heaven is to me. Real, a real, a real place. place. Yeah. Can you recall maybe a time or the time in your life when you have laughed the hardest could be at a movie could be at a friend's joke could be at yourself wow well i laugh all the time and so um let's see I was, um, one time I, I went out of control laughing and I was kicked out of a movie theater. Um, it was, remember Jabba the Hutt? Yes. Star Wars? Yes. I, that cracked me up. I was pretty young and I was so sad they wouldn't let me back in the theater, but there's something about his character. You know, we hadn't seen things like that in the past, no. you know, because we didn't have 
all the digital things that we can do in right. movies now. And um, well, when I was that age, I was more fixated with Leia in a bikini than I was with <laughs> Jabba the Hutt. But I, I get it. I totally oh, get it. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> but I've I've laughed at very inopportune times, from funerals to other things. And I don't know. I just I think about things, and not to be disrespectful, but. Um, you know, and I, I laugh too when I get stressed out, and so maybe it's a defense mechanism. But yeah. um, it's the anyway. best defense mechanism, laughter. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for granting us this space. Um, I hope we can do many more of these here. But even if we can't, this has been very special. And thanks for being our guest. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm excited about your podcast, and I can't wait to uh, not listen to this one, but listen to all of your other ones. <laughs> Thanks again, Teresa. Thank you so much. Teresa Knox, Tulsa entrepreneur, the founder of Community Care College, Clary Sage College, and now the owner and CEO of The Church Studio and Harwelden Mansion. Next time on The Damp Otter Files, House of Pain's Danny Boy O'Connor. Subscribe now to The Damp Otter Files. You'll find it in your feed the second and fourth Wednesdays of every month with bonus material added from time to time as well. I'm Dan Potter. Kindness costs nothing. Give yours generously. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.